0: The Title Block, episode number 14, Disappearing Act. Welcome back to The Title Block, the show about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. This is Sue Edworthy sitting in for Michael Cruz. Michael has laryngitis and he wanted to get this particular episode out quickly, so I'm stepping in to introduce you to this special episode. On January 11, 2015, a special event was held at theater Pass Passe-Murray called Disappearing Act, a public forum on Canadian theatre and Toronto audiences. The forum was born out of a simple question posed on Facebook a few weeks earlier. What can we do to counter shrinking theatre audiences in Toronto? Theatre producer Derek Chua... Agent and Executive Director of the Associated Designers of Canada, Sheila Skye, and me, Sue Edworthy, a theatre marketing and communications professional, convened with over 100 artists and producers in Toronto to discuss ideas to shore up the shrinking audiences in Toronto theatre. We collected questions from the community and asked them to give us their best ideas on how not to only frame the problem, but hopefully create strategies that would help producers and creators build their future audiences in a cultural milieu that competes with film, TV, Netflix, and the Internet and consists of an aging theater literate audience. This is a huge issue, and one we could not solve in a two-hour forum. However, it is discussions like this that we need to have all over the country to confront the issue of how Canadian theatre can sell itself and remain relevant. Just a reminder to check out an upcoming event pertinent to this discussion. Staff, formerly a not-for-profit theatre marketing and communications company, is undergoing a transformation to a subsidised capacity-building organisation for Toronto Theatre. Please join them on January 26, 2015, for Open Source Brainstorm. A link is in the show notes. Special thanks to Associated Designers of Canada, the staff at Theatre Pass Marae, the next stage, theater festival, and our audience. Here now is Disappearing Act, a public forum on Canadian theater and Toronto audiences.
1: All right. Hello. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming. Wow, this is great. Okay. I'm, I'm, at some point, I'm at the headcount because I, 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 uh, we've been sort of, you know, we have a bit amongst ourselves among the. You know, 400 people who said yes on Facebook. How many will actually show up to an event? Uh, I have an attendance so, list. <laughs> so, so this is good. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Welcome, everybody. Thank you all uh, so much for, for coming to this, and uh, it's great to see a lot of both familiar and unfamiliar faces. Um, I hope I get a chance to speak with some of the people that I don't know later on after this, but um, but for now, uh, uh, welcome and uh, just a quick uh, sort of introduction. Um, so my name is Derek Chua, and uh, we're all going to go on and introduce our, our, ourselves. Do you want to? Uh...
0: I'm Sue Edward, the I run Sue Edward, the Arts Planning. I produce and do marketing communications for people just like you.
2: <laughs> my name is Sheila Skye. I'm the Executive Director of ADC, Associated Designers of Canada, um, and I have been a producer in the past.
1: And that's a really short... Anyway, uh, the, b- both of these women have... Uh, uh, you know, not to suggest that they're older or anything, but they have many years of, <laughs> of, of experience.
3: <laughs> they're very... Uh, I prepared. moisturize.
1: Uh, and my name is Derek Chua. I'm, uh, I'm, the, I'm the producer for Studio 180 Theatre and also an independent producer for uh, a bunch of other companies uh, I sort of have freelanced over, over the years and... Uh, uh, so yeah, so 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 welcome. So you know, this sort of came about uh, partly because uh, I think yeah, yeah, I sort of expressed a, a, a frustration uh, on Facebook and with people with some of the what I was uh, you know I was I, I, I go to a lot of theater uh, in the city and uh, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, you. All right, uh, no, I I, I I went to three hundred and eighty shows last year. See what's going on out there. so that's a lot of theater. Now, no, no, but uh but sadly a lot of those a lot of those shows that i went to uh, which were uh, wonderful shows uh uh, were were very poorly attended uh in in toronto uh and so i was getting you know frustrated with that and trying to figure out you know what 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 can you know can anything be done what what should we do about it and and you know and and you always have these conversations in 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 bars and, and after the show and that kind of thing and and uh but i figured well let's let's try to get People together. Let, let's let's uh, let's see what happens, and, and that was sort of the impetus behind this. And 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 these two uh, uh, lovely uh, women helped uh, to organize this. But, uh, you know, so the idea of this is, is it's a forum. You know, I, I really we really want to hear from you guys. So you know, uh, after this sort of initial thing that we introductions, uh, most of this will be you guys. I you know, we really want to hear your your thoughts, mm-hmm. your uh, ideas, your opinions uh, about some of the topics that we're going to go over. So. Um,
0: I will definitely go from there. Uh, Once again, as Derek said, thank you all so much for coming to this. Uh, This is unfortunately one of the fuller houses I'm sure we've seen in a little while. But then again, you're all comped in, aren't you? (laughs) It wouldn't be a theater event without thank yous, so I'll start with those. Absolutely big, huge thank you to Theater Pass and to Andy and Regine. Equally huge thank you to the theater Passmorey staff who was here on a chilly Sunday to help us do things. (laughs) Definite thank you for the Next Stage Theater Festival who said, "Oh sure, use the antechamber," and we went great. And then said, "No, we need to go somewhere else." Big thank you to them, Um, (laughs) and a thank you to Michael Cruz and Title Block Podcast. A reminder that, obviously, since I just mentioned a podcast, this is being recorded today. What we'd like you to do is when you get up to, say, your comment or idea, please identify yourself. It doesn't have to be a huge identifier. It could be, my name is Megan. Into your comment. If you do not wish to be recorded, change it to, my name is Megan, I do not wish to be recorded, so Michael can edit you out. We're also obviously taking photographs today. If you don't want to be photographed, I guess you could do this or something, but do that. Yeah, do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, people who are tweeting, live tweeting, wanting to follow this on Twitter, we came up with the hashtag this morning of the, oh God, we had to come up with a hashtag. So the hashtag is hashtag odd, audience T.O., but we're doing it hashtag A-U-D, capital T.O., hashtag odd T.O., which kind of suits us. It really does. I think, I think that covers what I had to say in the thank yous. Did I miss anyone I should be thanking? Cool. All right, Sheila? Uh, yes, so you're not gonna
2: talk about methodology, actually. I'm gonna make
0: you talk about methodology.
2: <laughs> All right, <laughs> so. You used
0: the word methodology. Yeah, I know.
2: Um, so our hope for today is that uh, it's not a Kvetch Fest. Uh, and that we look for uh, ideas, at the, at the very least. Um, solutions would be even better, but let's start with ideas. Um, clearly, this is more than a one-day kind of issue that we'll need to pursue uh, uh, each individually as we go through um, the next hundred years. Um, what I would like to know um, before we get started is, Who is in the room? What kind of people are here? Um, So, theater people, clearly. Just with a show of hands, how many of you um, are producers? Okay. How many of you uh, are uh, packed, part of the packed system? Okay. And so the rest are by default indie. how many of you produce multiple shows per year? Cool. Okay. And how many produce uh, shows not every year, like once every two years, once every... Year? Okay.
0: Okay. Um,
2: that's some good context. Yeah. Oh, are there other types of people in the room that don't fit in that cate- any of those categories? Okay, so what, what do we have as strays? We have uh, theater writers, board members. Board members, okay. Uh, that's really a nice turn of events.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a round of applause for the board members. <laughs>
2: Terrific, okay, so interlopers. <laughs> Uh, Any any other kind of person here? Sorry? Terrific. Funders. Yay. I also
0: heard that we had dancers. Yep. There we go. Yep.
1: That's amazing. Thank you. Wow. Uh, so yeah. So so I, I mean, I'm looking through the crowd. So I uh, uh, I'm seeing a great mix of people. Some some people who uh, operate venues. Uh, a lot of people who are independent theater uh, producers and theater makers um, from all kinds of uh, fields, from dance to theater to uh, some of the arts councils are here. Some of the arts service organizations are here. So uh, thank you all for coming. Um, so you know, basically, uh, again. Because most of this uh, is going to be you guys talking, uh, just uh, logistically speaking, so there, there, we have two handheld mics, and I'm going to be kind of walking around to uh, whoever is going to be speaking. Um, we're going to talk about topics in a, in a second, but uh, just so you know, I, I'm going to get off my seat in a few minutes and, and just be around, so so when, when it comes time okay. to speak, if you just sort of want to hold your hand, I'll, I'll bring a mic over uh, to you and then bring the second mic over to the next person so okay Um, and again it it is being podcast so speak uh, clearly into the mics even if you have a a loud voice Uh, so yeah so let's get into
0: basically what we did I mentioned this on the Facebook post but it's always nice to know what we're doing live Sheila owner of the word methodology has taken all the questions that were posed and presented and she's created four distinct categories for each So we have four sets of questions to be asked and what we'd like to do is Sheila or I will ask the questions because some of them are hard questions and nobody needs to feel like they're going to get fired tomorrow for asking that. (laughs) So we will ask the questions. You will come up with the answers, ideas, solutions with Derek and his handy roving microphone and we'll go through it that way. We'd like to take between three and seven responses, depending on time, depending on how much people want to talk about that particular subject, and we'll sort of ebb and flow it a bit that way. We did come up with one thing, the burning question for today, which I'll mention now, and Sheila will mention again at the end, and it's just something to keep in the back of your mind while you're listening to the questions and hearing other people's answers. What specific actions can we, here in this room, now, today, take? To attract more of the Toronto audiences into our theaters, what can we do? Not what we complain about. What we can do. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Sheila and Eric.
2: Right. There's one um, other uh, viewpoint that uh, uh, I found important as I as I looked through the questions. Um, and this is totally uh, plagiarism from a woman called Clara Miller who writes about developing working capital in the arts. Um, and she talks about understanding the difference between successful coping and successful changing. And I think today it's really about thinking about successful changing.
1: Okay, great. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to dive in then uh, to whatever the first topic is but when 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 they start asking the questions um uh yeah if you can keep your responses to sort of a minute or less uh, that would be great i mean you know and I'll, I'll i'll be around to. i'm not gonna you know shut it down but but uh, just to, just to <laughs> no a lot a lot of people here and we want to hear from as many people as as, as we can and there are uh, a, a whack of uh, of, uh, of of topics to talk about so just sort of uh you know keep that in mind so uh what do you want to start with Um, I'm starting, and
2: uh, a lot of the questions fell under sort of the heading of economics, right? And so we'll start there. Um, And uh, the underlying um, ideas that were found were often about supply and demand, and also about right-sizing. And so one of the first questions is, is is it necessary to create or pull large audiences um, do you have an opinion about that? Yes or no? If yes, why? If no, why not?
1: Uh, I can really Is it
2: necessary to pull large audiences? Well, so you had an idea. What? So start with the mic there.
4: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, comments. Are, comments are allowed. Those- Hi, it's Rosemary Doyle, Red Sand Castle Theater. Uh, if you want to make any money, it is. <laughs> <Okay>. I mean, <laughs> like that if we uh, theater is inherently communistic in that our the output that we do is never worth the amount of work that we put into it. We can never be paid what we're actually worth. But it's nice to get paid anything even approximating that by how, by pulling in a bigger audience. I mean, because each of those people adds with their money to the supply of energy that we've put into the show, so yes. But can we have smaller venues that need to fit, to get to a high capacity as a smaller amount? We can do that. That's what I'm doing with the Red Sandcastle. But I want my 50 seats full. That's ideal,
5: right?
1: Yeah, so, uh, people who don't know Red Sandcastle Theatre is uh, about a 60 seat venue, 50 seat venue? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we have uh, Kim over there.
6: Uh, hi, Kimberly Bone, Keystone Theatre. Um, I think it depends on on what you're doing, whether it's um, a small, you know, non-equity uh, production or whether if you're doing an equity production um, and you're looking at a decent-sized space and you're having to pay, um, even if it's, you know, the Indie uh, 2.0 there's still a lot of uh, financial responsibility to um, as a producer to pay those uh, talented actors and directors and designers to do what they're doing. Um, you kind of need to sell tickets to cover, cover that off because um, you know, I know for us we fundraise till we can, can't fundraise anymore uh, just to open the door and, and, and um, if, if you don't sell the tickets, then some, it's coming out of somebody's pocket to, to fulfill those, that commitment that you have to, um, to your cast and to everybody who, you know, has come together to create this piece of art. So I think it really depends on what you're doing and what your um, level of, of uh, project is, whether or not you need... Can can manage, you know, um, doing a a show um, in a van, or you can do a show in your, uh, you know, at Berkeley upstairs and try to cover off the cost of doing that. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Does does anyone feel the opposite way? There's a hand. hand. Okay. Oh.
7: Go ahead. That's all right. Okay, my name is Caroline. I just want to talk about economics. I think companies. I'm wondering if there could be a coalition created for smaller companies to get tax numbers because businesses, small, medium, and large, do want to give money, but they need that tax shelter. So the thing is, is that it is illegal to latch on to maybe a larger company that likes you uh, for you to appropriate or bought. It's really about um, uh, consumer, like uh, Business and Consumer Canada, if they could have a coalition where we could talk to them about getting a through line into getting tax numbers quickly as smaller companies, and then if local places would fund us and they got a tax return, (coughs) believe me, it benefits them as micro-economies making better money because then we do better work. We're able to pay people, we get people out, those restaurants and taxis, it's, that's what I see as an infusion to create that coalition to speak to consumer Ontario or Canada to get those that every company here deserves a tax number, maybe okay. a, a second tier, and that's just something I've been thinking about for a while. Because okay. it takes too long for smaller companies to get them, and paperwork is too ridiculous. Maybe we may, may not get the same amount as a Soul Pepper or Video Cabaret or very established uh, companies that would retrieve more funds, but there's no reason why we can't get those funds as
0: well from the private sector. That's it. Caroline, I can actually speak to that because I am just starting to work with a couple of people on a great piece that Jane Marsland has put together discussing the idea of an umbrella company to create that sort of framework for exactly what you're talking about. So there's our positive moment to start with. Something is happening about that.
2: Um, has anyone tried an experiment where you have? Everyone says you need a large audience so that you have large money, right? But what if you had a small, exclusive audience that each person paid a lot, right? Like, like, you know, it only seats twenty, and they all pay a hundred bucks, and it's really intimate and exciting. Has
8: have you experimented with that? I haven't experimented with that, but I've but I've attended shows like that, and what I find is that um, yes, yeah, then you can get more revenue if you have only ten people in the audience, each of them are paying fifty to one hundred bucks. But it really um, it excludes my colleagues, my friends, the people that uh, my peers that I would i would like i know i know you don't make theater for other theater people it'd be good to make theater for business people and other people you know in in society but um i do find that there is a very like exclusive factor to that which i don't personally feel comfortable with maybe because i'm not (laughs) super capitalist but yeah Yeah, that's what what i think on that
9: Andy McKim, Theater Pass Marae. Yes, we have experimented with that. Uh, Hooked is a show that's playing in our season this year in the backspace. And additionally, Hooked's um, developmental life was uh, Nikki Gadagni, who's the adapter and the performer, uh, started performing it in homes with an accompanying supper. The show consists of seven characters, each with their own monologue. And there's an eight-course dinner that comes uh, with the seven characters when it's done in someone's home. So we seized upon the opportunity to both present her in the backspace as part of our season, but also to use the opportunity of her performance in homes as a fundraiser. So for the fundraiser, there are 12 to 14 people, and it is at fundraising prices, so it's quite expensive. Um, We've had some success with it so far, and we expect to have more success. But it's built around a fundraising model as opposed to a performance model.
2: Right. We need to move on to a new question. Um, And uh, is there simply too much theatre on offer in Toronto for the audience we have?
1: Yeah, that was certainly uh, one of the things that... uh, that was a common question. I mean, you know, the last few years, uh, there's been a, a you know a, a, a rise, uh, and and I think it's great myself. But you know, there's been a, a quite a few of these sort of storefront theaters. The storefront theater itself being uh, the <laughs> name of one of them, uh, <laughs> Red Sand Castle being one, uh, Unit One Hundred Two or the Theater Machine being one. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the coal mine theater and so on and so uh, yeah I think uh, and I'm not sure if this is uh, reality or not but it, but uh, sometimes it, it does feel like there is more theater uh, on right now than than there than there has been in the past um, uh, so yeah so we were working I'm, I'm curious to hear about what about people's thoughts about that um, uh, is that actually uh, true do we have too much theater uh, for the audiences that we have and uh, yeah so so if you ideas, give that a bit thoughts. of context Eric. Tappa audience uh, tapa itself had
0: 171 company members a year or so ago they're up to over hundred ninety now it's a 20% increase
10: in one year nice um, uh, Megan Mooney I'm the founder of Mooney on theater um, uh, so obviously I might be a biased person here but I don't think there's I, I don't I don't think that you Can have too much theater. I think that the more theater you have, the more audience you will build. Um, I think that it's a very different audience who goes to. I mean, I think it's a very different audience who goes to a show at storefront than who goes to a show at Canadian Stage. I think that, or goes to a show at Soul Pepper, or you know. And um, I think that I think that the reason. we're all sitting here talking about this is because we want to figure out how to reach out to those to those audiences and and figure out how to how to let them know that there's stuff out there and stuff happening because I think that I think the truth is is that it's just a diff, it's just a whole different kind of experience going to something at at uh, um, you know going to something at like the I'm forgetting what it's called is it called the coal mine. Yeah, going to something at Storefront or Coalmine than, than it is going to something at Pasmarai or or Canadian Stage. Or, and um, so I, I think that... And, and also things like site-specific, all of those things, they're completely different experiences. And I, I think that, uh, no, I would fight tooth and nail the idea that it, there's too much theatre. Oh,
11: hi, my name is Klaus. I'm from the Second City. Uh, I would say no, there's not too much theater in Toronto. It's kind of like asking if there are too many restaurants in Toronto. Uh, the truth is you should have as many as the public will attend, and the the most successful, the ones, the fittest will survive. And I don't mean that in a necessarily to mean quality. Uh, the ones that offer a value proposition or an entertainment proposition that people want to subscribe to are the ones who are going to survive. Uh, so you could have the best restaurant in the world, but if Make the best dim sum in the world, but if you charge seven hundred dollars a plate, probably nobody's going to come. Or maybe you put it in the wrong, the restaurant, in the wrong location, et cetera. Uh, those who offer uh, a good perceived value, a good entertainment choice—the idea that you know people in the world of entertainment choices we have here in Toronto, from sports to to movies to you know a million things you can do in Toronto—why are they going to choose theater? What's the proposition that's going to bring them in the door? So it's not too many. It's you know, making sure the decisions you're making as a producer are ones that are going to make your theater an attractive proposition to the person seeking entertainment.
12: All right. Uh.
2: Do we have a dissenting view? <laughs> Curious.
12: Hi, um, I'm Stan Eric with Guild Festival Theater, and uh, in terms of. Um, too much theatre for the population of Toronto, I think the only way you could s- assert that is if uh, it's everything is based on supply and demand. So it's only if demand is something that's carved in stone and fixed forever that you can try to establish whether we're doing too much theatre. Demand is something that you create and build on an ongoing basis. And one of the things that I have been interested in, in, in exploring is whether or not i mean some of the things that tap is doing right now is creating the idea of an alliance uh the the sort of the 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 team effort and the joint the full impact of all the theaters joining together to reach the people that live in toronto and uh, today i mean when you look at things like you know trending on the internet i think that something could be done to to really, for instance, with the new billboard tax, all the revenue that the city is getting from the billboard tax, if there are ways some of that money could be channeled into a really high-profile campaign on the TTC to reach new audiences. Uh, we have our loyal subscribers to all the major theatres, and they keep renewing their subscriptions. Every they're,
0: year. Not, they're, oh, they're not. They're shrinking. They're, they're shrinking. shrinking. Oh,
12: okay. If you look
0: at the Tappa audience's okay. reports for the last three years, if you put them side by side, you can see audiences going down. hmm That... It's a fact. Okay. And the amount of companies is
2: going up. It, the, the... Yes. It's... It's... Um,
12: difficult math. So if that's happening, then it tells us that we need new audiences. Yes. We need to find a new demographic, and that can be done by advertising on the subway, TTC, and giving deep discounts for people to try it out the first time.
0: I will agree with you to an extent, but I would say that is a facile argument an ad campaign is not going to do it, quite literally.
13: Hi, my name is Michelle. Um, I'm not a full dissenter because I love theatre and I love seeing good theatre, but I do think that we as an independent community have to question why we're doing the shows that we're doing them and sort of examine the merit to the community and um, whether or not it's promoting sort of an independent, new um, Canadian theatre movement. Like, are we just recycling shows that other people are doing, or are we really finding a new way to do them? Is what we're doing with these existing pieces exciting and fresh and drawing a new audience, or are we just doing them because we really wanted to do that show? And I'm, you know, guilty of it myself, but you have to kind of, I think, as we move forward, we have to think as a community... What is the merit to what we are doing? Why are we doing it? And how do we reach into the other facets of our lives to create new audience members? Um, How do we invite our the people we meet in our Joe Jobs that maybe never go to theater um, instead of just inviting all of our, you know friends and theater creators? And how do we talk to our parents and our and say, "Hey, you should get your friends to come to the show who never go to the show to the theater? Um, so I think, that there's not necessarily too much theater, but we just have to kind of examine why we're doing it and how do we use um, the other venues in our life to kind of pull people in.
14: Oh, it's me. My name is Kat, and I guess I'm just piggybacking on top of that question, but I I think that we have too much theatre that is geared at a certain kind of person. I think that we all talk constantly about finding these new audiences, this new demographic, but we're not branding theatre in a way that's attractive to young people. Because, literally, audiences are dying. We're We're all thinking it, it's true. And, and gearing, gearing a season or a brochure or a poster or a social media marketing strategy at a group of people that, like, my father can't use Google. He calls it Google, like, Kuggle. Like, no, like, not going to happen, not going to look online. Uh, but all my friends will. So we've pretty much stopped at Breaux. We've We've stopped doing print and are almost exclusively marketing on Facebook and, and purchasing Facebook ads and figuring out our Twitter shit so that it... Gets to the people that we want to come to the shows, to our shows, and and you know it's working, but very slowly because they're super resistant to change, young people. But I think that that if we want these new audiences, we have to put more work into making what we do attractive to them.
2: We're we're going to talk more about that when we talk about brand, larger branding issues. I th- I think we need to move on. Um, one of the other questions about this are. Um, Are emerging funding models healthy? How do we live in a world where pulling together Kickstarter or Indiegogo is a more important skill than producing interesting
1: work? What was the question again? Is it... uh... (laughs)
2: Um, how, How do we now live in a world where pulling together and engaging Kickstarter or Indiegogo is a more important skill than producing interesting and worthwhile art. So I think really what this question is about is how do we address the issue of balance between good art and uh, clever fundraising slash marketing. It could be clever marketing, too. I think that's a lot
15: are new audiences, the audience has always been there, it's just they're younger, so we have to find a more engaging way to do it. Personally, I feel that the theater community here in Toronto, the, the work that's being done on major stages isn't actually quite reflective of what people want or can relate to. So that's why there are a lot of, of theater companies coming up and putting out different types of shows and storefronts and different venues and things like that, thinking outside of the box. And I think that, that also goes with the, with the Kickstarter and things like that. There's a, for me, I feel like there's a big a cry. Like people are hungry, artists are hungry to just put out their work. And if Kickstarter and things like that, in uh, doing something where it's like, hey, we have this great idea. We're not really good at articulating it through the, the other norms of like granting and things like that. But this is our idea. We're on video. We're doing it. We're making it fun. Give us some money so that we can just put out the art. I think that's why it's Kickstarter and that type of stuff is taking away. As I, for me, it's all producing. So like. It's not your
16: traditional way of doing it, but it is, it's, the, I guess, the, not the easiest, but the, the most formal way to produce a show. So you've got a the interesting point. You only work once. You know, and this work isn't already an interesting original, right? In no sense, it works once. It only works once, and the show
17: isn't interesting. Mm. Um, hi, I'm Philip Turkwitz. Um, I think the emerging artist funding model that you were talking about at the beginning of the question is something that's interesting. Uh, As an emerging artist, I find that there is a lot of funding, uh, or no, there's not a lot of funding. It's really difficult to find it and that any way that you can find it and grab it is what you're going to do. So it does become more important for you to be able to find money to put into your shows than it is to really create the show because that allows you access to spaces and things like that. Um, And I think that, The model right now encourages emerging artists to create a show any way that they can, put it on, and then move on to something else. And I don't think that there's any sort of development or effort being put into developing a show past a certain point, um, seeing it again and again, and spending time on it, because the money really only goes to a sort of... I don't know. I think it only really goes to one show at a time, especially for emerging artists. And then once you become more uh, well-known, people are willing to invest money in something that's going to lo- last a longer term. So if you want to develop an audience as an emerging artist, it's difficult because they can't follow a show as you work on it for two, three years, as we are still learning how to create shows. And that two- and three-year process actually is kind of useful in figuring out how to make something of worthwhile, so that you don't have to focus on your only skill set being making money or finding the money on Kickstarter or whatever.
2: Right. By show of hands, because that's the quickest way, how many people feel that um, uh, exploring new funding models takes up a disproportionate amount of their time? And by that, I mean more than 35%.
0: Okay. Can I sort of add to that question? How many people here will do the show whether they have the money or not?
2: <laughs> how
0: many people yes, here? Okay. How many people here
2: think that affects the quality of the show that is presented? Yeah. That's right. So you do the show whether you have money or not. So you, you've done it without enough, without the money. Do you think that affects the quality of the
0: show? Okay. I just wanted to establish to make sure that nobody in this room is sitting around with heaps of money and loads <laughs> endless amounts of free time in which to do these things. I just so wanted you're, to check.
2: You're up next because we're naturally segueing into this whole uh, notion of marketing.
18: Yeah, uh David Tampa. Um we live in a world where they don't come up with new chocolate bars or cereals. They just do riffs on old chocolate bars and riffs on old cereals. And although that's sort of amusing, I think it has a huge statement about and what you are talking about in the original question about where society is changing and, and how to get people's attention and that people don't um, go to brands so much anymore. They go to... Uh, uh, niches so like if you make something about star wars uh, the concept of star wars the world of star wars you're gonna have a million people that go to that automatically and, and, and it's also sort of talking about what you're talking about where you you build each show you build is separate and the way that you tackle it is separate because you're trying to hit a niche of something be it the theater you know to bring it back to theater be it a, a group of young Theater minded um, professionals in town, or whatever it is. But I I, I think that, and this kind of ties also into the old school way of having um, uh, memberships, or what's it called? Subscribers. Subscribers, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that, yeah, well, that's, um, but that's, you know, that's, that's, the fact that I forgot that is, I think.
6: (laughs) Very yes, telling it because it is,
18: it's yeah. not how I've ever worked. It's, it's, I've, I've never been part of a subscriber package. Um, and, and that, that we're hitting things project by project, I think, is insanely telling. I, this is, these are more ideas and trying to tie them in as, as opposed <coughs> to solutions.
1: Uh, so one last before we move on, one last, can you just give it the, up uh, right there? One last comment.
19: Hi, my name is Julie. I was wondering about when you were talking about the funding aspect through Indiegogo and things, can't you separate those two and have two different bodies working on it so that you're not depleting the energy that's going into the production? And I think it's a different brain that goes into marketing than goes into creativity so that one isn't working against the other.
2: my Personally, I, I would tend to agree. There's a real issue around simultaneity with this business and that everything has to happen at the same time. Um, so you do need many hands on deck. The problem is you also have to pay those people, or, or you should want to pay those people, in, in my opinion. Um, uh, and, and so this is where drooping audiences create stress because we do the show anyways, which means we either... Try and do it all ourselves, or or we um, hire the cheapest uh, assistant we can, which m- may have to do with uh, impact on skill set or experience
1: or or other things of, like that. Okay, great, thanks. So, so we're going to move on to the, sort of the second general topic that Sue is going to take us through.
0: Sorry, we're going to move on to marketing, branding, outreach. Here's a quick question. Is traditional in quotes work faring better than contemporary in quotes work or vice versa? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Is traditional work being put up faring better than contemporary work? And I think unless the person's here I'm going to speak for them and say I think that's that sort of feeling of we're doing a Shakespeare in a musical versus we are doing something in a disused gas station with 20
1: seats so traditional versus contemporary so probably like shakespeare and and stuff that Soul Pepper does versus the brand new canadian theatre kind of things yeah, is that exactly. the question, i guess okay. yeah uh, okay any any thoughts about about that and whether that's how that affects the sort of the audiences and so on
20: hi my name is donna and um last week i was fortunate enough to have dinner with two Very avid theatre-goers. These ladies are amazing. I hardly know them, but they had pulled me into their lives. They wanted to give me funding, uh, which is great. Um, But anyway, uh, they were talking about this play they saw where they went into the theatre and they had to line up and they got a samosa and someone... I forget the name. That's it. And they've seen countless. They went on and on and on about how much theatre they've seen, but they were talk. they kept hitting on this one um, non-traditional model of theatre and I think, I come from a ma- marketing background, I think um, there's something in marketing called WIFM, what's in it for me? <laughs> Sue knows all about that and people love that, people want to feel part, I think these ladies were talking so much about getting that samosa how much is a samosa, right? But they're still talking about that so I think in my opinion the, if that's called contemporary model, I think that's working, where people love to feel part of the experience.
0: There's a fantastic article in The Guardian last week. It's floating around Facebook on theatre that begins right at the front door. Re- oh, God, it's a good article. Read it. Yeah.
21: Yeah. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Emma Mackenzie Hillier. Um, So I've produced both traditional, like Shakespeare and and modern. Um, I was the general manager and producer for Shakespeare and the Rough for two years, the, the renewed one. Um, And we were blown away by the response. Like, we budgeted for 600 people to attend, and in our first season, we had 2,400. And it really shocked us, but we were obviously fulfilling a need in a very... Like, in the East End, in Withrow Park, there'd been a company there before, and people from that area remembered and wanted... That experience. They want to go to a park, bring their family, sit down under the stars, and like watch some performance. I've been producing um, less traditional theater lately, and it has been a lot harder to draw in audiences um, depending on have this you know where the show is like if you're really far out in the east end and not on the subway line frankly it is way more difficult to get people to go especially if it's cold outside um i produced for a clown company uh, in early 2014 that has a really large following and i was expecting it to be like I'd anticipated a really large audience and we didn't have it because they weren't in a festival setting because that's where their audiences t- typically find them and so that's where they expected to go so it, I, I, I don't really have an idea or a thought to offer except that I, I have found in my own experience that people do tend to be drawn towards traditional theatre audiences that you wouldn't normally necessarily see at other indie shows will go to something that's indie if it's something they recognize. Um, It also depends on how you market it like we worked really hard to make sure that our branding was sexy on point that we looked like a really hot young company and suddenly it became true because that's what we put out there thankfully. Um, Whereas with the non-traditional stuff like we do our best to do the same thing, but it's it's still difficult to draw an audience, especially if um, they're not really sure what they're seeing. Just some, my, my, my thoughts.
0: Um, I, I, it's about
12: the last question and this question, and I think somehow we have failed to, as a community, failed to be able to define what good or interesting art is to shy away from Criticism or like, critical thinking about the pieces that you do. It's hard to define where our
22: theater is going. What is it's that we're really doing? Um, both traditional and uh, modern models have done well all over the world, but there's like an art criticism and a critical thinking on the art that gives these things a life and a calling. There's a scene. Here we have the divide, not just between our audience and the practitioners that you know, academic people who are studying theater and hope to practice theater. I haven't read an interesting paper about data here in so long. And I've been looking. So maybe we should not shy away and try to
12: define again what the part is, what is it that we do, and then we can go to people and say this is what we do. It's kind of hard to define for people what it is that we do other than the content of the show.
23: Um, Hi, I'm Holger Seim. I'm an academic, and I blog about Uh, (laughs) theatre. It's so nice to see your Uh, face. Hello. I've never seen your face. (laughs) I come out from my digital shroud. uh, I I, I find the distinction between traditional and contemporary really confusing and a total red herring. Shakespeare is not traditional, uh, nor is a play written yesterday contemporary. Um, a show isn't the same as a play. Um, What I find troubling about uh, the way that question is phrased and what it reveals to my mind is that um, we tend to not draw a proper distinction between plays and productions. So just because something was written 400 years ago doesn't mean you can't stage it in a way that has nothing to do with how it was written and is totally hot and cool and... And, and, and uses a metaphorics and a stage language that is of today. Um, just because something was written yesterday doesn't mean it, can be, it can't be boring and, 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 <laughs> and <laughs> old and use exactly the same stage language that Ibsen would have been familiar with. Um, so uh, my biggest, what I think, where that distinction really breaks down is, where well, it seems to me that, say, what Storefront is doing, uh, actually, breaks down that distinction because they do plays people know. They do plays people have heard of, like Miss Julie. Yes, okay, in a sort of mildly adapted version, but really Miss Julie, um, and 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 Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And they're doing tremendously well. And I think we need more of that mix: people who use work that people know and that people might want to see things that that students might learn about in a thea- in a drama course, but that they've never seen on stage. And then they go and see it because of that. And they discover that actually seeing a play that they've read on stage is a totally different experience and has nothing to do, as might have little to do with the reading experience. But you, have, you get a kind of, uh, you, well you get a sort of synergetic effect where people come and see something because, because they think they know what they're going to get and then they're going to get something entirely different and it's exciting.
0: Okay, Everyone, well correction, everyone upstairs. Michael has put a microphone up there if you guys want to use that just so you
24: know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's the sound I was waiting to hear.
25: Yeah. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Melanie Rymack. I'm going to turn around because I think it's weird to talk forward. Um, I think I'm sort of combining a whole bunch of answers. I'm sorry. I'm going to hijack this. Uh, And, Holger, something you just said really struck me of making theatre people might want to see, I think is a really useful idea. Um, When we're talking about making shows, even though we don't have the budget, why are we doing that? That's a really bad business idea. Um, Sorry, it is. um, I know our art is precious, but it's not that precious. If we're going into personal debt to put up a play, why? It better be really good. And if you don't have the money, it's probably not. I don't know. Is this like overly harsh? I think no, that's a that's actually. I think we well need to really look at what we're doing. Are you making the show because you want to be in this particular play? Like, you know, like because you want to play Hamlet, or is that why you're putting it up? Cool, but like get the money.
13: <laughs>
25: you know, like, I'm, but more power to you. Absolutely. I wrote a one-woman show. I wanted to make a show. I made it. I sold it. Bam, theater made, audience is happy, I'm happy. I, I think we really need to look at why we're making this art and what's sustainable what's sustainable creatively. If we're making half assed shows, don't make the show. Financially or creatively, don't do it. I think there's better ways to spend our energy.
1: Uh- yeah, if you want to go over here and grab that mic over over, over, over there, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I certainly hope nobody sets out to make a half-assed show, but, uh, you know, they, they, sometimes that's what it turns out, but, uh,
26: well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, but sure, go for it.
26: Hi, I really, I hear what you're saying, Can we but get your name, please? My name is Katie. Thanks, Katie. Um, I think that there are a lot of shows that get ignored for a lot of really strange reasons. Um... There's an issue, I think, with people looking at certain topics in certain communities as niche. Like, for example, at the Queer Pride Festival at Buddies this year, a theatre company I'm part of, made a show about queerness directed at children and addressing queerness for children and addressing what it is to understand that you don't fit in at a time when, when your sexuality isn't allowed to be a prominent part of you, but still is, and talking about that. And it's a really fucking dope show. And we hardly got Shameless any audience. promo. <laughs> but we hardly got any audiences because something like that is looked at as super, super niche. It's looked at as we're directing that at queer families or you have to have, like, a queer child to be interested in that or anything. So I think there's a problem with people being very uh, very involved with promoting their own work and not really taking a look at what's out there and going hey, that's something really unique and really special, and let's put our energy and interest into that. Like you said, you wanted to make a show, so you put up a show, and that was it. I think that we're not paying enough attention to each other, and we're so involved with our own self-promotion that we're not looking at how do, we, how do I not make myself a strong theater creator? How do I make a strong theater community by being involved in projects that maybe aren't going to further me and maybe aren't going to contribute to my bank account, but are going to enrich this community and truly say something unique?
25: <laughs> <laughs> One rebuttal, yes. Okay. Um, yes, I'm sorry. I, just, I have to respond... Um, I think that's missing my point, which was that I did the show because I could afford to do the show. Um, You know, I sat down and I made a budget and I looked at my costs and I looked at what I could expect to make and it came out... I, I totally agree with you. We should be looking at the larger context, but I would ask how that show was marketed. You know, like, was it specifically marketed towards a queer niche if that's the case then how like people people can't come to theater that they don't if they don't know it exists so i would question the marketing on the show i would question maybe the scale of the show it's just about sustainability and viability like it's not like i'm special and talented so i'm going to make a show and i'm awesome that's not at all what i'm saying it's just i wanted to make a piece of work it happened to be a one person show i've made other pieces of theater that certainly were not um And I I had to really look at myself and say, like, can I afford to do this? I was taking on the cost of producing that show personally. Um, I didn't crowdfund for it. I was like, I'm paying for this out of pocket. Can I do that? Is it worthwhile? Will I make a good show? Can I make that money back? The answers were yes, so I went ahead and made it. I've been on projects where I've looked at the budget, I've looked at what we wanted to do, and it just wasn't a responsible decision. And I just, I feel like, making art without actually being able to afford to make art for the sake of making art is just a circular argument and we can't move forward from that.
0: Derek? Uh, Derek? Uh,
1: sorry,
0: yeah? We have two more.
1: Two more? Up, yeah. Okay, up there.
27: On the note of contemporary versus traditional and dwindling audiences, I think the biggest problem that could probably be in that is people who are not active theater goers, so you're trying to get people who are not usually going to theater to get to go to theater, they don't want to be your experiment piece. They don't want to go see a show that they don't know if they're going to enjoy, so they're probably more likely to go to traditional, even if it's a new take on it and all that kind of stuff, but something that they recognize and think that they would enjoy versus something that you're just like, oh, this is my experimental piece of my own, and they're like, I don't know what that is. There's a lot of theater to go to, so they'll tend towards things that they recognize versus, and that's probably why it seems like it's shrinking is because they're not willing to experiment themselves, and you're trying to get these audiences to come and see your stuff, but that's just not how human nature is.
28: Hi, um, my name is Heather Blom and I've worked in marketing and development for both nonprofit arts, uh, previously for a very large uh, dance company here in Toronto and right now I work for the bad guys at an ad firm so I've seen quite a few different uh, development models and I have a very, it's it's a somewhat problematic solution that I would kind of like to float out to everybody but one uh, model that I witnessed that worked quite well, it's Again, it's on a large-scale, large-scale scenario. But the development model of having... um, Sort of like creating a community for the audience specifically and giving a degree of curational power to the people who are giving you money. So a degree, like a certain percentage of each season would always be selected or paid for by the donor body. So that way you have that interest whether it, i mean i've seen it happen with both contemporary work or older work that when the work to a degree is picked by the people who are in essence paying for it not only are you sort of troubleshooting the friends and family syndrome that is common of theater where it's you know you're there because you love who's on stage or you love who's beside you who is sharing the audience with you you're actually creating a larger group of people who are both invested in the piece and are also part of a greater community or donor group that creates its own sort of theatre or performance community. In, so it, it almost doubles. It creates a similar scenario to the friends and family kind of uh, draw to be in the audience, but it's from a completely different pool of people instead of from the theatre or dance or music community. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there as a potential option. I know the, the fear, of course, is that you are giving a lot of power to the people who have money and whether or not they, you know, share the same values or or desire to see, you know, progressive work or whatever work aligns with your company, that is absolutely a risk for sure. But it is another solution to soliciting the money you need to create what you love for part of the season and then fund your pet projects later on. Love to hear some thoughts, but... uh...
2: Do, I, I think it's to, an. Guys, we need to move on. I think it's an intriguing model. Um, I have a mic, so I'm just going to soldier on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I like this notion. I mean, let's face it. Already, audiences pick the work, right? They come or they don't come. Audiences already pick the work. Letting them pick it before we put it on. If you had two projects, that might be a very interesting way to find out the. Which, which one to do first so that you build audience for the second? I, I mean, I think there's some virtues in there that would be
0: worth exploring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is actually going to build rather nicely on what we were just talking about, and that was some great conversation, guys. I'll answer the first part of the question. Has the definition of theatre changed? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if so, are we as theatre theatre theater creators and producers using the same old narrative in addressing the audience? Are we using an outdated model of narrative and explanation to try and get people in to see something that doesn't fall into that definition anymore?
1: That's, yep.
29: Hi, my name is Sasha. I'm a theatre academic, I guess I am now. Is that what I am? Who knows? (laughs) Um, Anyway, I think when we're talking about, again, I'm going to go back to this traditional and non-traditional, when we're using Mm -hmm. those kinds of words, if we're using them in this room with each other, are those the same kinds of categories we're using to market our work to other audiences? And I think what we're talking about actually is familiar versus unfamiliar, right? to they, whoever they is, this imaginary construct of the people who don't yet come to the theatre. They're in the
0: cloud. Right, they exist
29: in this cloud. And I wonder if education has a part to play in all of this. So if we are doing unfamiliar work, can we find ways, and I'm very interested in doing lots of unfamiliar work, which often fails, um, but can we find ways to talk about what we're doing and how we're doing it and share that with these audiences to... Educate audiences as we're making theater in terms of the kinds of experiments we want to make
0: When I hear about audience and arts education, I think about teenagers being bused in to see shows And when I talk about audience and arts education I am always remind Emma and I were having coffee one day a few months ago and we were talking about how to educate audiences And I said they don't know They don't know that and my example was they don't know that theater is not expensive And to prove my point, I turned to the two strangers next to me and said, excuse me, because I'm like that. And they said, yes, I said, quick question, no wrong answer. You know a a poster, like for a play? And they're like, oh, yeah, like the one, I mean, yeah, the ones out there. And they said, yeah. I said, what does P-W-Y-C mean? (laughs) Not a hot clue. What, what?
2: Um, Man in the Room Uh, It it even goes deeper than that too Um, So I did a show That I thought was quite well known Um, It was on Broadway It was called The Mikado Um, (laughs) Never heard of it (laughs) um, And the phone wasn't ringing And that was scary Because you burn through cash pretty quick Um, And so we talked to the box office and said when people call, what do they say? And they say, Oh, they ask for tickets to Makedo, Mikado, Mikadoo, um, and and they they stutter a lot and they 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 are clearly uncomfortable. And so we ran an ad campaign which was kind of crappy, like Mikado, like Bravado, it was a a radio ad. And then the phone started ringing because people didn't want to show their ignorance by picking up the phone and actually calling the box office. So um, I think when we look at people who are non-habitual theatre goers, we have to think with a lot of mm, empathy, put ourselves in their shoes.
30: Hi there. Um, my name is Scott Mealy. I do uh, research in the area of audiences, actually. Um, g- quick story that, that actually, and sort of the points actually are applied in Australia right now in some very interesting ways in very large organizations. Uh, when I was in theatre school, I had two roommates. One was a journalist and one was an engineer. Um, I brought them to my shows that they considered, oh, the weird shows is how they, what they called them. They came from me. That's why they came to multiple shows. But they came to the social events that went with them. We discussed the weird things that happened in the shows. And they would ask me questions because they wouldn't be embarrassed because they knew me. And when I left and graduated, they became paying members of that school and actually invested in that, the engineer and the journalist. So, lessons. One is that there's a social component to theatre that we sometimes miss. Uh, One of the things in this Australia model is that there was a group that was brought in and they they were given the opportunity to discuss shows afterwards. When they were surveyed afterwards, many of them stayed and kept going to theatre. What did they miss most? Discussing the show afterwards with a group of people because that was part of the draw for them. The other was the opportunity to to... to do things in a way that didn't embarrass them, which is what you just said, because a lot of new theater audiences um, get embarrassed because they don't understand things. But if you give them a chance to talk about it, then they feel better about their experience, and they'll often come back because they feel good about this new experience that they just had. So I think this idea of relational, non-patronizing education is one of the key areas in what is if we want new audiences especially uh, and by the way with Sasha's work um one of the things that I, I really enjoy the, the artistic work she does she didn't mention that and one of the things that I love the experience of it and talk it up all the time and go to people who don't do theater and they love the sound of it so I think how could I get these non-theater people out to something that they clearly would like if they'd had a chance to get out to it
20: I did, an exper- uh, this is Donna. Uh, I did an experiment. This is Donna. I did an experiment this in 2014. Um, I did a show, and I asked everybody to pay what they thought was right when they left the theatre. So they got in for free, and I stood at the door. I, have a <laughs> I, <laughs> I did a one-woman show, and um, I made a lot of money. That <laughs> it just... It <laughs> It, it, it works, and it doesn't just work once. It works a lot of time. Um, so on your poster, postcards, business cards, you put pay what you think is right, and you explain, you say to people in brackets, bring cash. I'm serious. And then you stand at the door and you look them in the eye because you've given your head, your heart, your hips to the show, and they have to, if they want to leave without paying, that doesn't happen. So they're paying what they feel is right. It's sort of like having your hat in your hands.
2: I've done an experiment where we paid the audience to come. It was very atonal contemporary music. (laughs) It didn't work. They didn't come, even though they could get money. (laughs)
31: Uh, My name is Karen Elizabeth. I'm actually a new theater producer. I've worked for various theater companies, but this is my first year ever actually submitting grant applications and trying to write crowdfunding campaigns and all of those things for myself and my artist collective. And I'm finding in my own discovering how to write this that people are way too quick to put themselves into a niche. And we are way too quick to use words like queer theater, like feminist theater, that immediately put ourselves into that little we are only appealing to this particular niche. We are only appealing to the gay crowd. We are only appealing to the feminist crowd. We are only appealing to other artists. And I'm trying really, really hard to not do that to myself with my artist collective and with my friends because I don't want to screw up our show by accidentally making us seem like we're not mainstream. And I think that we need to be a little bit... Helpful to each other in that way. I think we need to have ways of sharing each other's theater and of just even making a habit of retweeting and sharing on Facebook and not using those niche words and not saying, oh, my friend's queer theater company, my friend's theater company, my friend's awesome theater company, my friend's amazing theater company that is producing this work that you want to see. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think that just changing the language around that is going to really
32: help all of us. Hi, my name's Esther. I just uh, talking about what you said about education. Um, I was part of an indie hit <laughs> called Kim's Convenience um Never and just, heard of it <laughs> 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 i just want to give an example of the education that they did to get the audiences back into that into the theater at soul pepper and i do understand soul pepper has money to do this but they did hire a native korean speaker to come and go up we went up to north york we went into the stores they walked into the stores and talked about the show handed out posters and it was done in korea and the, the program had a korean insert um, and the other thing that Ince does, I mean, ins is, you know, he's quite involved in his church, and it was, I know, a lot of word of mouth through his own church, his own family. So it's just just an example of what education can do, because those people who went to, a lot of people who went to Kim's Communions have never seen theater.
21: Should we move into diversity talk? Then?
32: Yeah, I think... There Hi, other- it's Emma
21: again. Oh, sorry. Go. Um, so I, found, I find the question that you asked really interesting because we deviated from a conversation about art really quickly into a conversation about marketing and branding. Um, and I'm going to continue on that path myself because I, I think... and it, My comment is more about a very specific demographic and it's about my own inclinations to go to the theatre because I really don't go anymore. Sorry, everybody. I'm the asshole who says I'll come and then I don't because I'd rather stay at home and watch The Killing on Netflix. P.S. It's really good. (laughs) But the, the stuff I do go and see is the stuff that feels like a party. Like, when I go to the theater, I want there to be a bar where I can get a really good drink that's not too expensive. Like, I love going to the storefront and I love laughing. And I kind of feel like... And I'm sorry, call me an asshole if you want to because maybe I am for saying this, but I feel like a lot of the theatre I saw in the early parts of my career, I've been in Toronto for six years now and I went to a lot of indie theatre when I got here, was pretty fucking self-indulgent. And I'm kind of at the point in my life where if I'm going to go out and spend money I don't want to go and see a play for an hour and leave the theatre at nine o'clock and go so like do I go home now? Do I go to a bar like why aren't we capitalizing on this and some places are like I do love going to the storefront for that reason because I think there's a great vibe there there's a bar there's people to talk to everyone has a great time and then like by the time I do leave we go to another bar together and like I'm a theater person so I know the theater people so that made that's my experience which is different than non theater worker going to the theater, but I still feel like that, that sense is there. So in terms of traditional classical forms of theater versus today, I was thinking about this on my way over here. Like if you went to the globe back in mm. the 1500s, there were whores in the back, people selling oranges, you could throw shit at the stage. Like, I think we've deviated from the classical form to a really, like, S- not stale, but very yeah. safe.
0: Oh, we're in the church of theater.
21: Yeah, right. You will
0: sit there. You will be quiet. Yeah, you're don't
21: don't laugh only when allowed. Clap when we say. Like I I actually want to go to the theater that excites me and makes me want to like stand up and jump. Some of the best theater I've seen, saw this amazing dance piece in in New York, and at the end there was this huge fucking rave. Like, that's what I want to go to. So I just, I want to throw out, like, as an opinion, and as someone who, like, produces theatre, I now endeavour to do that as much as possible where I can, provided it fits in with the companies with whom I'm working. That, to me, is exciting.
0: Guys, we need to get moving. Do we have one more comment? And, yeah.
33: Hi, my name is Marvin. I'm uh, just trying to pull the the threads together from uh, where this question kicked off Sue. and, and the word education has, has bounced around a lot. And I, I'm a teacher, and, um, you know, I, I have no answers. But in terms of your question... Um, like I'm probably three times as old as anybody in this room. And so in the 70s, when Free Theater, Pass Mirai, um, uh, Tarragon, they, they they were just coming up. They were just yeah. starting. I mean, you know, pay what you can. My gosh, you had to get there at like an hour in order to get a, a seat and stuff. Well, my, my girlfriend's uh, 16-year-old son is on his PlayStation. You cannot tear him away from that. As I say, I have no Answers to the question, but it's that's what we're that's what theaters are competing with, right? Uh, And staying at home and watching Netflix, which five years ago didn't didn't even exist. So that it seems to me is what theater has to answer, and what what what, the question theater has to respond to is how do we get the younger people. To, to just buy in once or twice, just to come and sample, never mind, you know, just, just to come and and, and, and experience theater. Um, so, again, I have no answers to that question, but w- theater in 2015 is competing with Netflix, PlayStation, things like that, and it, it's a question that needs to be addressed. Now, uh, maybe there's a lesson to be learned. Uh, again, I, I don't have all my facts straight, but the CFL, I mean, I'm, a, again, Hamilton-born and bread, Hamilton, Tiger, Cat, football, and all that sort of stuff, right? <laughs> and they lost a generation of fans, and now they're getting them back, okay? And it seems to me that, that that's what theater has to think about, is how do we appeal? And maybe it's what this young lady was talking about here. Um, new forms of expression, new 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 ways of, uh, of marketing, but... Um, you know, Stratford, I, I, for the first time in my life, I became a, uh, a member of the Stratford Festival. I, I gave a, and I, hey, it's a pretty pish-posh, swish-swash. I get to, to go into that lounge and stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I went the whole hog. Uh, but but I mean I, I was telling Derek before we started like you know I, I just mentioned I'm twice as old as anybody in this room I, going to Stratford makes me feel young because uh, you know I, I am uh, you know I am half as young as most people are there. <laughs> and, and and I think, you know, I, 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 a good friend, I, I run a, an organization called Shakespeareance, which goes into schools and, uh-huh. and, and and demystifies Shakespeare for kids and stuff. But I was talking to one of the members of our advisory board, who's on one of the major corporations here. He said, in 20, 30 years, Shakespeare, uh, sorry, Stratford is going to be gone. They've got to get that younger audience. And it's not a matter, we heard it earlier on in this, uh, today, of you know, I think it was you popping them to a bus, taking them down there, and, and you know, they have to sit and talk amongst themselves and play on their iPhones and all that sort of stuff, it's engaging them into the theatre. So as I say, I, I, that, that's, that's my two cents worth. It's, you know, how do we get the theatre going again and those audiences on, on, on an uptick? I think a real serious consideration has to be given to how to appeal to the young.
2: To, to be a ray of sunshine, which is really not my specialty. Um, LAUGHTER there is uh, evidence in the UK that the fastest-growing demographic for theatre is 18 to 35. So that's some place where we should look. It's always the UK, isn't it? It's always the UK. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, so I think we're going to move on to sort of our our, 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 our last big yeah. topic, kind of thing. Um,
2: yeah. No, we have two. But we have two. Do, do we want to skip one, Sue? Do you think we've covered this one?
0: I think we have. All right. We're not telling you what it is. We're just telling you we've covered it. <laughs> um, uh,
2: yeah. Well, actually, some of these we've sort of addressed as well. Let, give us give us ten seconds to regroup.
1: As you Let's were. Sing the
2: Jeopardy song.
1: Where, where, where's another mic, by the way? Did I, did I lose that up there? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. So whoever's up there, if, if somebody wants to say something up, up there, find the mic like, up there and uh, and uh, and. You can
11: take, you can say. Like no, go ahead, you got Steve. You 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 got the you're,
16: you're all recorded. right, I can use it if you want me to. <laughs> yeah, so Hi, gonna... my name is Steve Fisher. Yeah, uh, I am a theatre critic for Torontoist about? and Post City and anyone else who will pay me to do it. Um, I also write about comedy and music, so I'm not exclusively theatre. Uh, I have two funding models, really quick uh, examples uh, that I don't think uh, people in the theatre community think all that much about. And one is uh, Jesse Brown's Canada Land podcast. He, um, there is very little media criticism in this country. Um, not lot, many people writing about other people who write about things. And uh, he, this guy, Jesse Brown, saw a niche for that and started a podcast. And the way that he decided to fund this was with a, something called the Patreon campaign, which is where people uh, contribute voluntarily, sort of pay what you can or pay what you think something's worth. Uh, on a monthly basis. So that's his subscriber system. And uh, even before he broke the John Gomeshi story, uh, this was a very wildly successful campaign for him uh, to the point that he has made this his full-time job. He's been able to hire other people, three or four other journalists, to work full-time on this project. And that's because people saw... There's a niche. He saw the niche. People saw the need for that, and there's a feeling of community. Even though his subscriber base, you know, they don't go to where he is, and they're all across the country and even outside of Canada, they feel a sense of community, and they feel a sense of importance in the work that he's doing. And I see that in the the shows that I see at Storefront Theatre, and I see that at uh, the Theatre Centre, which is doing a really good job of becoming neighbourhood playhouses, where they're creating art where people are like, they're going to see that even on short notice on like day of. Uh, the second example I have is, I spent eight days in New Orleans last year and I was seeing live music two or three times a day. And uh, nowhere was I buying a ticket and going to that show. You just walk right in and the musicians are playing and they take breaks in between their sets and they pass a jug around or they pass a hat around. and. That only works if the people watching the show feel like they're seeing something that's really great and really good. And then they don't throw a dollar in and then leave. They stick around and they throw a $20 bill in. So these musicians were making a really good wage doing pay-what-you-can shows every night. And uh, I think that what that means is it, it doesn't really matter... Whether you're doing contemporary theater or uh, classical theater, it only matters that your audience thinks and feels that what they're seeing is good and deserves to be paid for and paid well.
1: Thanks, yeah. No, I'm, I'm so curious for somebody to do that uh, hopefully soon in, in, in Toronto it's, it's sort of a uh, it happens a lot in in, in Edinburgh uh, they have a whole free fringe thing where and yeah, same idea' it 's uh, people just go in and it 's free but it 's not really free because they're the, the performer I and mean, usually it is the performer themselves, so you have to look them in the eye at, at the end, holding the bucket uh, to to collect money uh, and, uh, and it 's it's, it's fascinating how uh, uh, you know somebody some people do very very very, very well, I, I know there were circumstances, but I, but I haven't really seen a good example in Toronto. I remember you as a fr- but that was quite a few years ago, right? I, 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 it, uh, was it just? Uh, yeah, yeah, but it was, okay, 24, okay, so you did that, okay, anyway. Um,
2: I've always had a fantasy about stopping a show halfway through and asking the audience to all pull out another 20. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay, we actually yeah. sort of
0: very quickly did something like that at a fundraiser. I was running for a dance client of mine who began to show a sneak peek of the work that she was doing, and she danced about six or seven steps, and then stopped and said, I can't do any more, and you had to bid. I'll pay you 50 bucks for two more steps. I'll pay $100 for the rest of the stanza.
1: Okay, so I think we'll take one more comment, then go on to the next uh, uh, question
4: topic. Uh. Well, at the Red Sand Castle, I get like forty-two shows a year that come in, so it's kind of interesting watching what shows succeed and what don't. And price point is a very, a very subtle but interesting thing, and it's not exactly what you'd think. People who price their shows cheap—they go, "Oh, it's only ten bucks." Those are the ones we get no audience for, because people are like, "I'm just going to waste my ten bucks." The shows that go 20 bucks, get a reasonable audience, and then the shows that price themselves at 25 or 30 usually sell out. Mm -hmm. And it really, the quality of the show has very little correlation to do with how much they're charging, but it seems to be what the audiences feel that they're getting. And the higher the amount that you charge for the show, the more people you get that aren't theater people. So the way that I usually like to do this is have a regular price and an artist price. And regular people who are like engineers and accountants and lawyers, they like paying money to the arts. They like a ticket price that they can hand over their money. I say, so are you an artist or or an adult? And they go, oh, I'm an adult. <coughs> and they're happy and they give you the money. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I, it's just a joke because I think we all have inner children if we're, adult, if we're artists. But but they're like, No. I have this boring job, and I'm glad to make you make my life less boring by me giving you money for it. So it's very interesting, because a lot of the shows where they, like, uh, one of the, one company came in and put the T.O. ticks thing on, where it's the $5 for if you're under, but they take half of it. So then I have to explain to this young producer, I said to him, you realize that every seat that you're filling with these, cheap tickets for, to get a younger audience, you're only getting a dollar out of that person. A dollar twenty-five by the time everybody's got their cut. So don't do that. Drag in one person and make him pay the whatever. You've covered your ten seats that you could have had other people in. So it's its an interesting... Um, there's a fine line of what is too expensive and what isn't. And I think to the general public, the what is too expensive is a l- much higher number than we as as struggling artists think it is.
1: Thanks. Okay, gonna, so, uh, yeah, we're going to move on. We're to are going to move on. Big topic um, then, There uh,
2: were a number of questions that pertained to diversity, and um, I think we've already uh, discussed um, uh, ethno-specific. We've discussed youth. The one topic we haven't uh, touched on yet is um, gender. Um, and uh, to say... Uh, um, the conventional wisdom is that women are the ticket-buying decision-makers within households. Then what kind of programming should we be using to attract more women to the theater? And and do does our lack of gender representation on stage kick us in the audience?
1: Okay, so that's a big uh, topic question, so here, uh, we're going to start over here.
10: Hi, it's Megan Mooney again, and actually, I I don't have a comment about that, but I have a comment about diversity, and I'd like us all to look around the room for a moment. We're um, up here in the dark. <laughs> we're up here in the dark. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, for anyone listening on on the podcast, what you can't see is that this is an awfully white room right now. Um, Once again, we're all up
34: here in the dark. We're up on the second level. <laughs> um,
10: there, I mean. I, th- I mean i just feel what does that well that, i don't know i mean what does that say i mean can a brown person speak to this would you guys care if a brown there, person there's speak? also
2: lots of diverse people who are not differentiated by color but by absolutely oh
10: absolutely i'm i'm not for a second saying that there aren't other forms of diversity but um but i think that uh one form of diversity that that <coughs> We just sort of that we can't ignore, especially in a city like Toronto. Is uh, is is one that involves people of color, and this is a room where there are very few people of color. So,
15: Look kid, out of
10: here.
15: Kid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are actually all on the second level. Uh, kid, if that's if I, <laughs> there's.
2: Inadvertent
15: segregation. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to know we were all late. Um, if I if I could actually speak on on that, it's something that I've actually spent a lot of time sort of exploring. Can is I get your name, please? Joseph Racinos. Thank you, Joseph. Um, and uh, I I find that there, uh, that the lack of audience, in my opinion. Has to do with the fact of one education uh, in these other places because you do look around and most of the arts community is or the theater community is you know predominantly Caucasian Uh, and going around to different theater schools and talking to uh, talking to the the students that are up and coming and things like that a lot of it has to do with the fact that one in diverse families that are immigrants and things like that um, the arts isn't really something that they that families have, would support. It's more of a hobby, right? So they and they're they're coming here, and uh, again, and, uh, and I hate using this word. I really hate using. Th- Urban, I hate that shit. But uh, in in, the, in those types of demographics, when we asked, it was like, oh, why why are you doing these after-school programs for art, but you're not taking art as like uh, to go to second post-secondary and stuff like that? And quite honestly, the answers we got back were, oh, well, um, I have to like after this, I go and I work and I help my mother, or I help my parents uh, with my with my younger siblings. Uh, and so this is the only real outlet that I have, and at school, it's not really, you know, it's not really serious enough, like my parents want me to go be a doctor or engineer, that's where the focus is, so it's seen as other, and you're sort of wasting your time, it'll keep you off the streets, and that's about it, so that's the, that's one of the things, as to, as to the reasons why I feel there aren't more artists of color aggressively coming out to these types of things, right, Um, and then Another reason
0: you'll want to talk to Joseph afterwards is his knowledge of the word urban and the fact that he's only 26, so we are just hitting target after target after target.
19: (laughs) Hi, my name is Julie. Uh, When you're speaking about female generally being the purchaser, um, this might not be a popular comment to make in in, uh, 2015, but... uh, I think more attention needs to be paid to the aesthetics of your cast because people like hot. If women are buying, they want hot. Hugh Jackman's a massive star, a lot of the reason for the suburban uh, theatre-goer, because he's a hot-looking guy. Uh, I think attention to marketing your play, as, aside from being just something cool and different and something that um, will enrich your mind is also that you can look at something really fantastic as well and that it more is paid attention to the the actors, the looks. The I come from TV, so that's prominent. Any shows that I've worked on that has been a failure has been where they've had great talent, but to watch it's like, eh, it's, it's not as pleasing to the eye. And I think sometimes in theatre that is ignored because okay we'll throw on this wardrobe and we'll have so-so hair and so-so makeup beef it up a little and i think it makes it more interesting because that's what's popular on tv the shows where people are about glam it doesn't work with every single show and every single audience but it definitely i think improves the quality of your work So, you mean hot hot performers
2: and better production values? Yes, yes. For use, okay.
19: Well,
1: yeah.
35: Hi, I'm Mara Goblum. I just want to go off of what Joseph said. Um, Part of diversity in theater is about knowing that they're accepted regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation. And once students are in university, that's it. They've decided what they want to do with the rest of their lives most of the time. Or if you're undecided major, blah, 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 whatever, you can argue that. Slow oh, I don't down, know I you are do. being recorded. <laughs> Sorry, just uh, not at all. Nervous. I know. Um, but you have to start earlier. Uh, students have to know, especially in high school at a young age, that it's OK to be in theater That theater is an amazing thing. It's an amazing uh, concept that's existed since ancient Greek times. And that if they want to go into theater, that there's going to be a community there to support them. A lot of students in my school, I notice, um, they don't feel supported. They think that theater is something that their parents won't accept them for, and they have to go into sciences or maths or, you know, whatever else. But if especially the high schoolers, the idea of soul pepper or Tarragon, it's a, an imaginary concept of them. They have no idea how it runs or what they can offer other people. So bringing in youth is not just about knowing that if they want to create theatre, they're accepted in the community, but if they want to go see theatre, they're accepted anyway. That they can go see theatre and say, you know what, it's okay if you just want to see theatre where you want to open it up to all ages, and even if you don't understand what's going on on stage, It's still an amazing thing that you could come out and see it, even if you're without your parents. Where do you go to school? Alexander McKenzie High School in Richmond Hill. Alexander McKenzie, can I get you to
0: do me a favor? Yes. Can I get you to stand up and look at the audience? Can I please get a show of hands of all the theater geeks and drama students in high school? Were you one? Raise your hand. (laughs) Just, Just so you know, hon, we are... We're so here for you.
35: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's amazing. And uh, to the theater kids who are in high school here, we love you all. Can I
33: upstairs? Upstairs,
36: upstairs. Can I? Can I just say my thing first? Uh, <laughs> I've just been really holding on to it. Um, so the most... I see a lot of theatre, and the most exciting thing for me that I saw this year was a show that Cassie Walker was involved in. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember the name of the show. Yes, it was. Now, the, most ex- the, the reason that was the most exciting thing for me that I saw this year was because I am so sick of being in completely white audiences. And I think that the and that show... I was one of like four Caucasian people in the audience, and I went, here is our fucking audience. And you know why? It's because the people on stage were not white. We want to hear stories. We go to this theater to hear stories about ourselves. How can Toronto, which is such an incredibly culturally diverse city, actually feel represented by 95% of the people on stage being white? We're saying, why are we not reaching our audiences? That's because people aren't seeing themselves represented on stage. We have to change that.
24: Sorry, I got to jump in, because <laughs> I've been quiet this whole time, and I just had to speak to that. Um, so I'm Cassie Walker. Um, I do a bunch of stuff in theater. I work here at theater Pas Passe-Murray. I've um, stage managed. I've done my own stuff. And just speaking to part of the diversity issue and just like working, I, because I just happen to work with a lot of companies of color, uh, of like black theater artists. And I find, so maybe like a few years ago, I did this, uh, I worked as assistant stage manager on this piece called, called Anima, Anima, Anima Spot. And I remember talking to the stage manager who was white. And I noticed this not just with theater, but also within you know, just like any sort of media, this sense of like, you know, needing to see yourself on stage because we looked around and our, our question was when it came to our show was why aren't there any white audience, like why aren't there any white audience members seeing our shows? You know, we have like this huge, what sometimes I've noticed is that whenever we, when it comes to working on pieces of color or working with pieces by black artists, you know, like our audience members come out in droves but then we like we look around and we don't see any white people there. And so I noticed that there's this often this conversation around, you know, needing, like, what, whose benefit is it to see, or, like, what does it mean when we have audience members who need to see themselves on stage? And what does that look like? You know, how does that end up being to our detriment? Um, just, like, or... How is it can we even look at what it means to you know go to see theater and feel connected because i i don't know, I think it's kind of scary the fact that you know we have to shy away from like using languages like niche, you know like why can't I go see why can't I be straight and go see a queer theater piece you know why can't I see what, why can't I be black and, and go see a white theater like what does that look like, and who does that benefit? Um, and so, like, I don't know I if that made any sense at all, but I just had to say that because I, I noticed it a lot, and it's, it's curious to me.
11: Uh, hi, this is Klaus. Uh, so, at our theater at Second City, uh, first of all, I'll say we don't really employ anybody hot. Um, <laughs> and there's kind of a... Uh, <laughs> you know, and we're doing pretty well. Uh, uh, there's a bit of a joke actually in the community that there's hot and then there's improv hot. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that you do find and which I think is a great thing about uh, uh, what you're seeing in the comedy scene, particularly a sketch comedy scene that I'm a part of, uh, is that uh, after that, again, we also have our tickets are primarily bought by women. And the emails I get after the shows tend to be again and again and again about the strong women and the strong female message in the show. Uh, we employ remarkable women and seeing those kinds of positive, affirmative messages from women on stage bring people back to the theater again and again. Uh, So I don't think, you know, I don't think we have to, uh, you know, worry on, on the gender issue about whether women are going to come to the theater. It may sound strange. Women love coming to the theater, and I'm so grateful for that. But the more we show them themselves in an empowered way, the more they're going to come back.
34: Um, I'm Camila Diaz-Varela. I'm a musician-performer. Just graduated from theater school, so I'm still pretty fresh and pretty biased that way. But thank you for speaking. Cassie is your name? Cool. Um, I am a queer, uh, female-identified person who is Mexican, so ethnic, brown. And um, I just felt like I needed to speak to this because I felt like we needed that voice here. And I recently... Retracted myself a little bit from the theater scene to just go into my room and figure out what I was going to do because I just kept on getting hurt. I just kept on going out and seeing theater and being feeling like I was not a part of it, not I didn't see it, I felt just hurt by the things that I was seeing. And I just want you guys to know that, I guess. Um, now I, I kind of went back into my room and sort of figured some stuff out, and I'm going to try to go out there and make stuff that builds a community that I. Feel needs to be loved a little bit and addressed but I feel like a lot of people like me are in their rooms trying to figure stuff out and then looking peeking out seeing if there's a theater company a person that can help them but we're we're, we're kind of hiding a little bit um yeah and theater for me is about building a community so it's not about me expressing my own personal struggles with myself it's about reaching out and creating a community either like literally in my apartment neighborhood which is awesome or on the internet or whatever but creating a community that will feed and move forward all of us not just my own self it's not a hobby it's a business as well
8: so yeah okay
1: thanks Camila
8: okay what was your name Camila, Okay, I think I have a play that you can be in, first of all. Um, Second of all, I don't really see the purchasing power of parody or whatever for women necessarily. I'm a woman. I live by myself. I buy my own theater tickets. Or if you want to comp me, that's cool too because I don't have any money. Um, But uh, I do see... I do agree with the woman, Julie, who mentioned about the hotness and I think that... Um, I run this storefront with Ben, and we and all of the people that work there, um, we want to try to market it as a cool place to be, as a place for a party, as Emma said, as a place where people can come, see a show, tweet about it, have a drink, chat with us. And um, obviously, we all live in the society. We see what attractiveness and, you know, People magazine, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I know it seems shallow, but... I do think that it has worked and is continuing to work. I mean, not necessarily branding hotness, but branding rock and roll or sex, Um, passion. Yes, we can all... Buzzwords, anyone? Anyone? Um, (laughs) um, And that being said, I mean, I'm a female artist, and I guess uh, it just... As the more that the f- the more that the women create, I mean, I'm hearing this all the time in screenplay and in uh, Hollywood. They they want more female directors. They want more female writers. Um, the more that we write, then the more that we can see our own work on stage. So, and, and I think that there's a good movement for that in the city. Yeah. Um, um, for for anyone who's um, interested
2: specifically um, in diversity issues, there's uh, equity in theater, which is ADC sits on the steering committee. Uh, Playwrights Guild, uh, Pat the Dog, there's a a whole bunch. Um, They have a Facebook page. Go check it out. Um, There's articles about trends in different industries. Um, And there will be a conference coming up in Toronto specifically about that issue in April
26: 2015. I think... Can we just... Can we we have, like, one more minute just on this topic? Is that okay? Derek, can I... Thank you. Um, Well, I just wanted to talk about, in terms of diversity and women in theater, that one of the most successful theater events I've been to this year, which I was lucky enough to be part of and Cassie was part of last year, is Insatiable Sisters of Buddies in Bad Times, which is a showcase for women and queer women and women of color and trans people and it's beautiful, and it's sold out, and it gets one night only, and there are people lined up outside for tickets, waiting to get in, and it could sell out easily more. Than, I don't see why that couldn't run for two weeks, and yet this fantastic show, and all this effort, and all these beautiful people come together and create something that that just gets one night. And so that's what I think about when I think where, where my issue with niche is not. I don't think we. Um, I think we should be able to use words like person of color and queer. I think that they're powerful, and I think that claiming space and using those words and not being apologetic about those words is a powerful gesture. Um, but I think that one of the problems I see is that those words are, are seen as not being mainstream, which they are. We are all people. Um, and what's, what the problem is is because they're not seen as mainstream, they're given a very, very small amount of time. And, I mean, the tickets for, uh, for Insatiable Sisters are $20. They're, they're not cheap. There's a great system in place also where if people can afford to buy tickets for other people, not even necessarily people that they know, they purchase those tickets and leave them with the box office and say, give this to someone that can't afford it. It's an incredible event and an incredible system, and if Buddies doesn't have the recourse or whatever, I don't know what the, what the logistics behind that event are. I don't understand why other theatre companies don't come and see that incredible event and say, I want that.
0: In terms of what you're asking, it's entirely possible using a marketing technique. It's not a scarcity. It's one night. It's one night only. You have to come and see this today or you don't get to see it at all. It creates a sense of urgency and it creates a sense of wanting to be part of something. If they ran it for two or three weeks, odds are your houses would be very small. Says the marketing girl. I'm going to say I really strongly disagree. You're more than welcome to.
18: <laughs>
1: awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, uh, so we'll, we'll take one more in this topic and then we'll... Uh, uh, sort of Go on to our I think final thing,
3: but hang on a second. One
1: more. What
7: did you say? We're doing one more.
3: Okay, thanks. Hi, uh, my name's Tavis, and uh, just to speak to that exact point, I find that um, uh, what I've wanted to do with producing the few shows that I've worked on is to uh, keep it from being the one weekend kind of indie theater thing, which happens so much, and and extend it to being more like a three week. You know, get the ball rolling, kind of idea, but uh, it is incredibly difficult to get people to come out, spread out through your run. And I think that what most of us have probably experienced is that opening night is great, and then the next, like, if you're doing the one week thing, you get a great, a pretty solid opening and a pretty solid closing, and in between is kind of dead. And uh, and there and often. You end up with one or two nights where it's sold out and you can't actually fit everybody in and when the couple nights before were were only half house or or less than that and um so trying uh i i think that 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 is an incredibly frustrating thing that that um that's i i personally have no idea how to deal with that um and i and i don't feel like i I want to go with the one-night-only kind of approach. I, I want to be able to reach as many people as possible with the, the shows that we put on. Um, and so convincing people that uh, coming in the first week is, is better than trying to squeeze it in on the last day uh, is, is sort of like a, I feel like it's a psychological thing for people to get their heads around that, that I, don't, I don't know how to make that happen
2: we could have a pact. <laughs> we could We could have a pact here in this room now today, right? There's that thing we're supposed to be thinking about, that we will go see theatre on off-peak nights, yes. leaving the tickets available for the less enamoured or more casual audience to go
0: on peak nights. I have gone to seven of the ten next stage shows playing I'm done seeing Next Stage because I went the first week because I know that's when they will need houses. Next week is when people will say finally, okay, I'm Canadian, it's cold out, i got to go see a play and go. But that allows me the opportunity to see them, talk about them, spread the word, and put people in their houses for them.
1: Okay, so did we have one last uh, sort of question topic that we were going to talk about?
0: Yeah, we did a lot of scribbling over here. As you can tell, we're very busy with scribbling and things like that. Um, And we're getting short on time, so these two questions, two answers, speed round, two answers for each, that's it. But take them home and think about them, because it goes back to our burning question we asked earlier. How can we make theater slash performing arts feel as necessary and exciting for the community and city as it does for us? Someone once said to me, "Well, I don't understand why is culture important," and I didn't know how to answer them because it was like they had said to me, "Well, I don't understand why is breathing important." I, how can we, how do we find the ways to explain that to them and make them feel that way? Two answers. Go.
2: Oh, we had a hand up two there answers. right away. Okay, Sorry, okay, here,
23: up here.
0: Note the use of scarcity. There's only two <laughs> answers allowed.
33: <laughs>
23: <laughs> uh, all right, so it's Holger again. I. I think I know how, but I don't know how how we could make it happen. It's education and the media. If we don't teach high school kids that the the arts are as central to our lives as money, they won't learn it. And if we don't get our newspapers and and, 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 uh, and news organizations to also spread that message, it will not gain traction. Um, now, how to go about doing that? I have no idea. I'm a university teacher. By the time I get <laughs> to talk to students, they've already decided that they want to study drama or English. Right? Uh, it has to start earlier, uh, and it's essentially it's a government effort. Right? We, have, we, have, we need a government that is willing to not just put support, ma- financial support to the arts, which is, you know, I mean, I think one thing we, we always tend to complain, but actually support for the arts in Canada isn't bad at all, especially compared to our neighbours south of the border. Um, it's actually pretty decent. So our government apparently is willing to put money to, in, 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 out in support of the arts, but we need more than that. We need a government that, that, that makes an effort to teach its citizenry why life isn't all about making money. Uh, that seems fairly straightforward to me, but I don't know how you force or, or, com, or convince uh,
0: yeah,
7: our decision makers uh, that to take like that to take That sounds like
23: breathing to me,
0: so yeah, I understand that. Next
22: one. Uh and so hello. said we're uh, extending. Name, uh, I'm just going to stand up because I want to. Um, I'm, I'm the artistic director of the Red One Theater Collective and the Storefront Theater, along with Claire and other such folk. And um, you know, there's lots of lots of things that I wanted to speak to that have that have been that have been spoken about here this evening or this afternoon. But this question particularly interests me. How do you make it as exciting as relevant to? The rest of the people, as it is to us. <clears throat> Emma, you said that you, you don't often come out to the theater because you'd rather stay at home. But I do see you at, at our shows, and you come when it's this party, and when there's this sense of community, and there's this sense of empowerment, right, to come out and I come with... that too, yes, That's the only time. right. <laughs> but you also you come the nights that there's the parties there. Yeah. Yeah. So, there, so you also come to feel like you're part of a group and, and that, that sense of community that we all know, that we all recognize and talk about building, what I think the root of it is, is a sense of empowerment, right? Through educating these, the, the younger generations about wanting to come and see theater, that's one way to empower their, their, their cultural mind, but to bring them into a place where they can see people with them, around them. Uh, making change, making action. We're also very open to, to people putting on shows in our space, right? So they come to the space, they see the space, they talk around, they say to themselves when they go home on the subway, I can do a show there, then a couple of weeks later, they do. We help give them the tools to facilitate that, which then which then builds a community from a foundation level. Um, I'm a part of this community, I'm not just a peripheral part. I did a show in here, so this, is, this is part of my thing. Come on out, it spreads. That, 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 that sense of community is one thing to build, but what is a community... Well, then what does the community do, right? Like, what are they? What is their? What is their resource? What do they mine? Do they do they cut down the forest, or do they help, like, empower everybody? And and um, I think that the way to make it as relevant to everybody else as it is to us is to be able to share the way that we feel when we go to these parties and have them feel that way. The gamification of of theater, the the sort of you know the the punch drunk sleep no more mediums, right? It it gives it gives audience agency to come and participate and have em- empower their viewing experience. I get to choose which hallway I'm walking down. I'm part of this thing. And, and I think that's what people look to find. One the, of the church of theatre they don't really appreciate because they don't want to sit there and be, be lectured to. So how do you, like how when you throw a party, how do you get people to come to your house? Do you have to give them free food? I mean, free stuff, you know, it really gets the people out, but does that really garner the proper kind of respect and loyalty that you want? So how do we empower this community that we're building to continue to grow, I think, is the bigger question. I think
0: it's a really good place to end this question on. One, yeah. one
1: more upstairs. The
0: people are killing me. It's our second extension.
1: One, uh, one more upstairs. Yeah, no. I, one more
12: upstairs. I, I actually really agree with what he said, and I also want to say that we should look at audience as an element that is necessary to make theatre and look at it like that. Perhaps not just like as a receiver. I would not go see a show where the only function that I'm providing is filling a seat and paying my twenty, forty, eighty dollar. If I'm a part, if I'm necessary there, if I my, if I'm defined, if I'm a part of it, then I would. How do we do that? I I'm not sure if it's like audience. I don't think it's audience interaction, and I don't think it's marketing. I think there are people out there. I know there is audience out there, but. We just shouldn't be so desperate, maybe. Why would I want someone who wants to watch Netflix come see my show? Do I need them?
9: Well, yeah, great. no, Thanks. I think
12: so. I okay, well, that, that's, no, n- that's an even better place to end this on because
0: yeah. that is a Excellent. big question. <laughs> Excellent. All right, okay. here's one for you. One more question one last, for you. Last, last question.
1: Last, question, last question. Question. question.
0: I went and saw a dance show once, and it was terrible. What have you seen since? Oh, I don't go to dance anymore. I read a book once. (laughs) Awful. I don't read now. I saw a shitty movie two weeks ago. I'm never going to the movies again. Why is that first statement seemingly acceptable? How do we get people who have had that one bad experience to
21: come back? I feel like such a broken record, Heights. Emma, again, everybody, oh like God, I'm Emma, the person who's spoken the most here. Um, so, uh, the, the first phrase is acceptable for people, I think, because there's a different kind of energy required to go to the theater because it's a live space and you have to invest in live people right in front of you, sometimes five or ten feet away. Mm-hmm. And that's a very different experience than going to a movie or reading a book where you can disengage at any time and no one other person is disrupted unless you're like leaving an, a movie theater and you Thank have you. to climb over a bunch of folks. Um, in terms of bringing people back, and this is where I feel like a broken record, like put on a really... Good show. <laughs> That's all I got. Good stuff, Emma. One more.
1: People are saying uh, we had put on a good show and nobody showed up. But anyway, here we go.
37: Hi, my name is David Lafontaine. I uh, run the Theater Machine and you uh, know 102 or two actors company. Uh, I think to dovetail off that, good theater is good theater is good theater. We could talk diversity. We can talk all this stuff. Um, uh, to what Ben said, you have to build the community within the community itself. Uh, myself, Ben, there's other theater companies here like that, have built these storefront theaters, these small theater companies. We've created community, and then we put up really great shows. Like, I put up great shows. Ben's put up great shows. I'm sure all of you have, but you have to kind of you have to take all the little pieces of that uh, and, 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 and put it right back into the thing. It's consistency. It's doing it over and over again. One-offs don't work. You can't come out and if you fail, not come back again it's It's consistency in this thing. The reason I'm still here doing it eight years later uh, is because we have a great product it, it's consistent we've built an audience this this form's interesting to me because uh, the theatre I run has actually only built an audience in the last six years. So when I read, we're losing people, I go, why are you losing people? Because I don't feel like I'm losing. The community, yes, maybe we are, but the people I work with, that I'm, I've am i built a community with, which is these people at Storefront and they're, they're this, the Red Sand Castle over all these, there's a growth there, which means that it is coming away from the soul peppers. It is coming away from this, this maybe more traditional style of theatre. Uh, if you want to do it, if you want to make it Happen. Be consistent, constantly. Look for diverse projects. Do all that stuff. But build a community yourself and keep going with it. I think that, to me, is kind of, yeah.
11: Okay.
1: okay. I think we got to wrap it up. We're 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 yeah. out of time. Uh, Two things. Okay. It's the wrap. It's the wrap <laughs> up <laughs> okay. part. Okay. I'm wrapping up. <laughs> uh, Megan
0: Mooney had something she wanted to say. That has to do with this. She's not getting an extra chance or anything. I'm Megan.
10: Um, So as a bit of a follow-up to this... Ha-ha, it's not about this, no. Um, The one-minute rule still applies. Uh Yes, no, I know. (laughs) Um, I'm looking at pulling together uh, an online survey thing that will go within industry people, but also I'm going to try and find a way to connect with people who don't go to the theatre... And uh, I'm going to be pulling together questions uh, that have come out of this, but also other questions, to try and and find out some information about what might be keeping people from going to the theater and what might in, entice them to come to the theater. Um, so I wanted to let people know that that was happening, as sort of as a follow up up and a as, as a follow up from from this session. But I also wanted to let people know that I might be uh, looking for some help uh, with that. And so if anyone was interested in coming to work with me on a little working group with that, to let me know, not right now, because it's a one-minute rule. Um, So uh, you can reach me at Megan at MooneyOnTheatre.com, which you can find by just going to Mooney on Theatre. It's easy to find. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Probably a number of you are already connected to me on there. And if you're not, it's easy enough to connect with me there. Um, uh, so, yeah, you can connect with me through any number of those those ways. And connect with me if you think you might be interested. It's not an, It won't count as an obligation. Uh, connect with me when I'm ready to pull people in. I'll connect with you, see if you're still interested. If you want to do it, I'll let you know what's involved and stuff like that.
0: That's Thank it. You. Michael Wheeler had an announcement to make as well. Michael Wheeler. You're not Michael Wheeler. Sit down.
10: <laughs>
5: uh, hi, Michael. Uh, I am the artistic director of Praxis Theater, but uh, I'm also uh, recently executive director and transformation designer of Staff. Uh, and Staff was um, an organization that used to provide uh, subsidized administrative services to the community. And our transformation involves turning into uh, capacity-building organization for the sector. Uh, so what that means is uh, we're trying to figure out how to use the resources we have there so that uh, people... Ex- very specifically the people in this room, because I noted that most people said that they were uh, producers and also were uh, not members of PACT uh, at the beginning of this. So uh, this transformation is very much for the people uh, in this room. And uh, so uh, as part of that, we'd like to figure out what it is that the indie community needs uh, to move forward with their producing goals. And so we're having uh, what I'm calling an open source brainstorm, uh, which you're all invited to uh, at 6.30 p.m. on January 26th uh, at the Theatre Centre. And uh, what an open source brainstorm means is that we'll have, uh, you know, a time where everybody can learn what we're up to and a time where everybody can break out and come up with new ideas. And the open source part, uh, we'll be live tweeting the whole thing and everything that comes out of that will be available on our website right away so that uh, there's transparency in how we move forwards. Uh, So hope to see every single one of you there. Thanks.
0: Okay. Also, another reminder—a friendly reminder—that um, our podcast today, thank you, Michael Cruz, uh, will be available at thetitleblock.com, and also available on iTunes. I feel so cool saying that. Um, um, and and thetitleblock.com. We will put it on the Facebook event page, and it will also be available on iTunes. <laughs>
2: Um, Also, ADC has recently published a handbook for independent producers, which outlines the uh, standard agreements of our contracts uh, for hiring designers. Uh, It's available free. There's a bunch there. There's a bunch in the lobby. Take them. Take them for your friends. That's fine. We want them out in the community. Um, And if we do run out, um, you can always obtain one uh, at the ADC office. Just give us a call. You've met me now. We're not that scary.
0: It will not be available on iTunes. Alas. One last thing for me, the young lady from Alexander Meers School. I want to talk to you after. It's a good thing. Yeah.
1: Okay. okay great. Yeah. All right. So that that's it, guys. Uh, yeah. My, my last word for me. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for for coming. I really I learned uh, so much from all of you. Uh, and you know, I mean, I said, you know, I said at the beginning that this was not intended to be something where. You know, I mean, it'd be great if there was some magic solution that somebody said, "Hey, here's the way to fix everything." But, <laughs> uh, but, but, I, I really feel that um, a lot of really great uh, conversation was was started here. A lot of ideas. Uh, we're, we're set out that, that I hope people can follow up on uh, we are trying to f- follow up uh, somehow with, with a few of these things with the, the podcast uh, staff uh, initiative all, all these things uh, so yeah um, uh, the last word is the, the Next Stage Theatre Festival is still on down at the Factory Theatre so uh, one more week please please go to that please uh, please get out and see some great theatre and uh, the, the mic's up there. Can you give it to you or somebody responsible to bring it down to me? Okay. Uh, don't lose that mic. Okay. There are
0: nine shows yes. playing between this minute and 11 p.m. at next stage. What? Go see something.
1: Oh, Equity and Theatre Cards. Okay. Equity and Theatre Cards over here. Uh, <laughs> and the podcast that thing is over here as well. Uh, that, that's it. That's it. That's thank it. thank, you, thank all you guys so much. much. Thank, thank you. you.
0: And that was Disappearing Act, a public forum on Canadian theatre and Toronto audiences. Thanks again to Derek Chua and Sheila Skye and all the theatre artists who participated. The music for this podcast is Podsave music from the band 1990s called See You at the Lights. You can find them at roughtraderecords.com forward slash the 1990s. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It will help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theatre design in Canada. You can follow us on Twitter at TheTitleBlockCA and on Facebook.com TheTitleBlockPodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students and teachers or listen to it while you continue to comp the heck out of the opening week of the show wondering if your audience will ever come. I'm Sue Edworthy, sitting in for Michael Cruz, and we'll see you next time on The Tidal Block.
22: Talking to me, like
0: me a story. Honey, I never relax when I talk to you. I'm always oh, stressed and well. nervous and a little bit giggly. <laughs>